Uh, most of you know me. My name is Matt Crocco, and I'm part of the pastoral leadership team here at Desert Heights. Um, I've been uh, teaching the BLAST class, which is a class that we started um, for the middle school group, and, um, and it has slowly kind of become a middle school slash youth group. I've really been uh, privileged to be a part of that group because uh, these kids are awesome. Um, I know I've said it before. I've got a fan of the Blast Kids down here. Um, I know I've said it before, but this church does a great job with the, with the children's ministry. Um, and uh, and uh, it is... A testament to the parents and their and their um, and their dedication to God. Right, these kids are our most important ministry, and it all starts at home. I really do feel like I've been called to to teach these kids, and it has been a joy to me. And now I finally got full access to Lisa. So Lisa's. Um, taken on the last two classes so that I could focus on this message today. Um, she's also brought some added touches to the class um, that only a fine woman could bring, <laughs> pun intended. Anyway, I thought I might start with a joke this morning. Uh, what do you guys think? Do it. Joke? Do it. I don't know. Telling a joke during the sermon is kind of tacky. I don't think I'm going to lower myself this morning, like many other pastors do. <laughs> so a priest and a rabbi and a cook walk into a bathroom. He thought I was going to say a bar. Because the funniest jokes are in the bathroom, right? So, but a bathroom joke... It's too dirty for a sermon, so I'll tell you this joke. A climber fell off a cliff, and as he tumbled down, he caught himself on a small branch. He said, help, is there anybody up there? A majestic voice boomed down to the gorge. I will help you, my son, but first you must have faith in me. Yes, yes, I will trust you, the man cried. Let go of the branch, boomed the voice. There was a long pause, and the man shouted up again, Is there anyone else up there? <laughs> okay, so that was a funny joke, huh? <laughs> or were those charity laughs? You're probably wondering what the moral of the story is, or the joke is. By the end of this message today, uh, you should be ready to let go of that branch. So Pastor Brent this morning wanted to continue uh, in the book of Matthew. And so, he's, he, uh, so today we're going we're gonna to preach out of Matthew chapter 9, and he assigned verses 1 through 8. So I thought to myself, how am I going to get an hour and a half out of eight verses? So... 
Once I started studying the text, I think we might be here for a couple hours. There's a lot in, in this text. So we better jump right in. Today is a continuation of last week where we uh, saw Jesus had divine authority over nature and the supernatural. Jesus demonstrated his authority over nature by calming the storm. The disciples were in the boat with Jesus when the storm started to toss them to and fro. The disciples were afraid and worried, even though they were in the boat with the Son of God. They were in great danger. They thought they were in great danger. Jesus, Jesus wakes up and rebukes the wind and the waves. And the disciples wondered, who is this man who the wind and waves obey? Authority over nature. He also showed his authority over the supernatural. Jesus approached a man who was possessed. The demons inside this man immediately recognized the authority of Jesus and said, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Are you here to torture us before the appointed time? Then the demon said, If you are going to cast us out, let us go into that herd of pigs. So Jesus agreed. And the demons did as Jesus commanded, and they left the man and entered the pigs, authority over the supernatural. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus' divine authority to forgive. So the title is Jesus' divine authority to forgive. Number one, Jesus claimed to be God. Matthew Chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Jesus climbed into the boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Many of us have heard this story of the paralyzed man. Matthew tells the short and sweet version. I'm going to bring Mark into this for a few more details, so listen carefully. Mark chapter 2, verses 2 through 12. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that, that he was back in, in town. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, the men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law were sitting there, and they thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, 
or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority over earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Just to set, just to set the stage a little bit, uh, Jesus here ha- he has returned to his hometown of Capernaum. News has spread that he was back in town. And many people started to gather to listen to him. Up to this point, Jesus had been teaching and healing. Many people were impressed and intrigued with him. People were flocking to his home. They filled up the inside of his house. They also had gathered around the outside. Then four men picked up the paralyzed friend. They carried him to see Jesus. They noticed that there was no room to go through the front door. So they turned around, walked away, thinking it's probably too good to be true anyway. Okay, strike that last part. (laughs) They didn't give up this easy. I'm not sure what these men were thinking with their plan B or how they thought it was going to be received. I mean, a few excuse me's might have done the trick for them, but instead they proceeded to climb on top of the house. They dug a hole in the roof. The, home at, the homes at this time were... Uh, um, one-story structures, and the roofs consisted of beams that had thatch and, and sticks laid across the beams. And then they filled these up with mud to waterproof the, to, to waterproof the roof. Many times, uh, the roof was constructed as a deck. It may have also had tiles laid on top of it. The stairs to the deck were set on the outside of the home, so there was access to the roof. Um, And then this would explain the reason why they had to dig a hole through the roof. It would be a messy process. Dirt and dust and twigs would be falling down inside the house. The hole had to be large enough for a man to fit through. I'm not sure how long this would have taken to get done, but I could imagine maybe 10 or 15 minutes. If I was to pause in here for about 10 minutes to wait for Thomas to get his guitar, we might, we might have some people lose some patience and walk out. But I think in this case, they probably were excited to see how this was going to play out. So then they watched as the man lowered their friend down in front of Jesus through this newly constructed hole. This is the house that Jesus was staying in. Many people believe that it was Peter's house. Jesus was probably watching Peter's face turn red (laughs) and steam coming out his ears. Jesus probably had to gesture to Peter like, I can only imagine 
what they were thinking when this was happening. How is Jesus going to, to deal with these guys who just ripped a hole in the roof and are interrupting his sermon? If something like this happened in here today, we would immediately notify the sheepdog. Rick would come straight in here and as peacefully as possible, escort this guy right out the window. Uh, Then the unexpected happened. Matthew explains, be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. So wait a second here. First of all, how does Jesus know that these guys have faith? And can't Jesus see that this guy is here to be healed? Forgiving his sins will not put him back on his feet. Let's talk through this a little bit. First, the recognition of faith. We went through the book of Matthew in the blast class with the youth. And it was interesting as we were working through the text, we noticed a reoccurring requirement for healing. And that requirement was faith. Jesus, Jesus often said, your faith has healed you. And most of the time, it was the actions that somebody was taking. Who touched me? Matthew 9, 20 through 22. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I could only touch his cloak, I would be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. I know this story is before the paralyzed man. Sorry, Brent. But John also said this in the gospel. John 21, verse 25, Jesus did many things. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. These men obviously had been hearing the stories of the man who was healing people and performing many miracles. I could imagine that they saw an opportunity for their friend to be healed. They were just waiting for the next time Jesus was available to go to him. When the opportunity finally arrived, they faced a hurdle. They were probably not, things were probably not going as they had imagined. But they knew if they could just get him in front of Jesus, it would happen. They were desperate. They didn't give up. They took extreme measures to get to Jesus. So here we are, their plans coming together. Jesus confirms that their faith is intact. Jesus says, your your sins are forgiven. They probably felt that they were a little misunderstood at that point. This is confusing. Why would healing this man not be priority number one? We all know the pain and anguish that comes with anything that is wrong with our bodies. And it is a huge blessing 
when we receive healing for our friends or our family, we are much more in tuned with our physical and mental needs of our body. So we pray, we plead for healing. We chase down doctors and therapists and healers, many times desperately searching and sometimes stopping at nothing for relief. This is real to us because we feel it, we see it, and it hurts. My mom's been suffering with fibromyalgia for a long time. I can't seem to remember a time she wasn't in pain. I pray that God would take this from her and allow her to live a more normal, pain-free life I can't even begin to understand her struggle with not only the chronic pain, but the mental exhaustion that comes with this. Then when you think someday maybe relief is coming, more problems start. She recently had a few small strokes and is now also battling diabetes. She is working through these new issues and she is currently doing better but I can't even fathom the battle that she is fighting. Well, the paralytic man was on the verge of being healed, but had to wait a minute while Jesus addressed the scribes as he knew what they were thinking. So we'll get back to the healing in a minute. Number two, Jesus proves he is God. Matthew 9, 3 through 5. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he is God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? The teachers of religious law were accusing Jesus of blasphemy in their hearts. Here is a time when the scribes are partially right. They recognize the claim that Jesus was making by declaring the sins of the paralytic man forgiven. The Jews believe that claiming to forgive sins was also claiming to be God. Thinking this is blasphemy meant that they did not believe that Jesus was God and that he was falsely claiming to be God. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew their hearts, and he challenged them on it. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is very clever. He didn't wait for them to start saying what they were thinking. By claiming to be, by claiming to be able to forgive sins, Jesus was claiming to be able to do something that only God can do. Then he shows them, he can read their minds also. If I was a scribe, I think I would start questioning my thoughts. Maybe this is the Son of God. The teachers of religious law had hard hearts. Jesus understood that. It didn't matter what he did to demonstrate his Godhood. They would never believe him. They were considered evil because they wouldn't even consider the fact that Jesus might be the Messiah. 
the one that was prophesied in the scriptures and the one they were waiting for. Then he does it again. Jesus asks the question, is it harder to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? Many people say many things. It would be easy for a fraud to voice either one of these things, but a fraud could only possibly get away with one of them. Could possibly only get away with saying, uh, your sins are forgiven. But if a fraud claims to be able to heal someone, they would be on the hook to demonstrate this. Especially when there is someone right in front of them who needs healing. Matthew 9, 6-7. So, pro- so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority over authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. So Jesus, with the paralytic man right in front of him, then says, So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The paralytic man must have been thrilled to finally hear these words. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The moment of truth. What would you be thinking in this moment? Is it going to happen? Well, of course, right? If we had seen or heard about these things Jesus had done prior to this event, we would know that Jesus was capable. And this is exactly what the man who was brought before Jesus understood. So just as the Son of God commanded, this man stands up, collects his things, and walks out the front door. Okay, now do you believe? It must have taken the crowd a bit to process what they just saw. This man just claimed to have the power to forgive sins. It's a God thing. This man just read the hearts and thoughts of the scribes. God thing. This man just healed a paralytic man right in front of them. God thing. I don't know how many times people have said that, that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Bible. And this is the dumbest The next time I hear this, I'm going to thump that person with the Bible. I don't even know what that means, but I've heard it before. But it sounds painful. Jesus not only claimed to be God, but he demonstrated it time and time and time and time again. Number three, Jesus' authority stirred fear and praise. Matthew 9 Verse 8, fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. Seeing Jesus manifest the power of God is something that we are not used to witnessing right up close. 
Imagine seeing a paralytic man stand up at the command to get up. He picks up his stuff and strolls out the door. People's jaws were probably on the ground. There are examples of men in Scripture who were in the presence of God, and the first thing they did was fall on their face. Revelation 1, 12 through 17 describes John's vision of seeing God on the throne. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And then John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. People who see God understand immediately that they are not worthy knowing how disgusting they are, realizing who the ultimate authority is. I can imagine that many of these people, after being amazed by the healing, they realized that this was God. And they were in big trouble because they realized he will be able to see right through them. Have you ever had somebody in authority to say to you, come see me, I need to talk to you. I probably just cr triggered a, a memory of fear for most of you. We're all afraid that it's just a matter of time before they find out. It's terrifying. This is a healthy fear. God holds all of us. God holds all of our future in his hands. And the way I read the scriptures, there are two options for our eternal dwelling place. There is no talking your way out of this. If you don't have the advocate by your side, your, your fear is fully justified. The crowd also praised God, the same God who is justified to send you to hell also made a way for you to be allowed in his kingdom. Somebody tell me, what was the first thing that Jesus said to the paralytic? Your faith? Your sins are forgiven, right? Because Jesus saw their faith in him. This should overwhelm us with joy and cause us to praise God. Jesus demonstrated his godhood by forgiving sins and healing the paralytic. He has the ultimate authority to perfect you, make you whole, and worthy of standing in the presence of the Father. This is why they also praised him.
The most important thing that I have learned in all of the years that I have spent following God is that in my flesh, in my heart, and in my spirit, I am this paralytic man. We all are. We are broken, flawed, incapable, immobile, incompetent, with absolutely zero ability to help ourselves. And until we learn that, we'll never be able to understand what our greatest need is on this earth. Instead, we come before God wanting something temporary, expecting, demanding he grant us our superficial, shallow, and ridiculous requests. But God, full of mercy, right off the bat, offers the paralytic us the solution to our greatest need, the forgiveness of sins, and escape from the wrath of the Father. We need to start thinking like God thinks. The most important thing is not that we are physically or spiritually paralyzed, but the most important thing is that Jesus is offering us a solution to this, to this condition. This is what I see in my mother's struggle. Her struggle with chronic health issues. She has been beat down for many long years, but she knows, she knows. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing to me that she understands that she may never be pain-free in this life. But Jesus has guaranteed her that she will be pain-free in the next. Her faith has never wavered, and that means the world to me. As I was working with Brent through this text, he kept saying, this is not about healing. This is not about healing. So why is this not about healing? I could stand up here and tell you, all you have to do is have faith and you will be healed. But I don't think that is accurate. Jesus chooses to heal. He chooses to heal who he chooses to heal. And if some of you are not healed, when you believe that Jesus is required to heal you, that can be hard for your faith. The truth is, that this earthly life is temporary. And the real miracle is that Jesus is God. And he chose to come to this earth to be destroyed. So that we would be healed. Physically and spiritually. And live in God's perfect kingdom forever. There is a song um, by Cain. It's called, I'm so blessed. And there's a line in there that says it all. Um, I thought about singing it. <laughs> but after the guitar joke, I think Thomas would have no mercy <laughs> about how bad it is. There he is right now. The song says, 
On my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. Oh, every day is a good day. And you're the reason why. I guess I can't say it without singing it. <laughs> so then it goes on and says, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed. <laughs> Got this heartbeat in my chest. It. Oh, it doesn't matter about the rest. If I got you, Lord, I am blessed. Every time we, we, we play that song in blast, and man, every time I hear it, it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because uh, on my best day or on my worst day, because every day we are considered a child of God. And uh, that's always a good day. Uh, the scriptures help us understand what the most important thing is in our lives. Now we're going to ask the prayer team to come up. And I'd like to invite you up if you need to recognize Jesus as God of your life. He can forgive your sins. Now I'd also like to invite those who are struggling with big issues in their lives and need help enduring or bearing your cross. Healing may not come for everyone, but we can rely on the strength of God to persevere and have joy in our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise your awesome in wonderful name. You are mighty and loving and merciful. We know you sent your son to us. We believe in him. We know he has the authority over nature. We know he has the authority over the supernatural. We know he has the power and the authority to forgive sins. He is our advocate, our escape route. He saves us from our wrath by taking it on himself. He has crushed and destroyed so that we can be made perfect and dwell with him. We offer all that we are as praise to him. Please forgive us for our sins, just as you forgave the sons of the paralytic. In Jesus' name, amen.